You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your fearless leader, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined by Sexy Irish Sean. Rick is curiously absent today. I think he may be locked away in a closet. It's just the two of us today. Yeah, Final Fantasy uh, 14 fan club in here. That's what we did. We went in there, we just locked the door. Yeah, gotten into Final Fantasy 14. I watched the intro video, and I think that's all the further I'll get. Did it look good? It looked amazing, actually. Very Final Fantasy-esque. Basically, Bahamut was getting, or got captured, and then he broke out, and then got captured, but then broke out again and killed everyone, and then got captured. So, I don't like but, Japanese role-playing games. It's just something about JRPGs that don't, that, kind of, don't jive with me. That's so blasphemy. Never, never I mean, it's not blasphemy, <laughs> but it's like video game it's blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> I played Final Fantasy X. Does that count? Yeah, totally. Played ten. I like uh-huh. this ball. Played a lot yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think I never finished Final Fantasy VIII because of the card game. And I never finished Final Fantasy X because Blitzball was like all I played. So anyway, on this episode, we... I had a client ask me, well, you know, they, they're running their own ads and it's their third or fourth Kickstarter that they've run and their ads just are not working as well this time. And they weren't quite sure why. So they reached out to us to figure out, you know, why are their ads not working? You know, they, they had some things that they thought were obvious that ended up actually not being the case when we dove into the data. And so what I thought I would do is I, I thought I would answer the burning question that some of you may have about your own ads that you're running, which is why aren't they working like they did last time? So what was the background of this meeting? Was it someone on Facebook contacting you again? No, actually, <laughs> thankfully not. So there was a, a pretty a pretty well-known tabletop games company reached out to me and they have a fairly large budget. And when I say fairly large, we're talking many orders of magnitude above what a first-time creator would, uh, would, would spend. I don't want to share tons of personal details that could identify them because first of all, I want to get them on the podcast um, after what it is that they did works um, or doesn't work and then let them share their numbers. But they had, uh, we'll say it is much higher than $10,000 for a pre-marketing ad budget. And they learned the value of pre-marketing from their first couple of Kickstarter campaigns that they did. They started with, you know, like a under $5,000 pre-marketing budget with their first game. It did well and kind of gave them a, I guess, a company. And then their next game, they had a budget of $15,000 for pre-marketing because they were an established company. They knew the value of pre-marketing and that kind of thing. And that did super well. So their third game, they see so much value in the pre-marketing that they are spending you know, much, much more. $1 billion. <laughs> yes, $100 billion. And so they find that their marketing dollars are not are really about a third as effective as they were for, the, for the, the last campaign they ran before this. And so they asked me, you know, why? And the first thing that they immediately went to is they, they said, well, you know, it is a different game. And I, you know, asked them, you know, we talked about like kind of how they felt before we dove into the data. Like, what do you think it is? What are your experiences like? What are you doing different this game versus the last game? And then we really dove into the data. And what I was amazed 
to find is that the data told the whole story. I knew exactly why their ads were not working as well as last time. And it was 100% because of what the data told me. And so I figured it might be valuable to kind of share what it is that I found, what conclusions I drew, and how I kind of steered them so that they would do a better job with their own ads. I figure, you know, if they like our advice so much, maybe they'll uh, hire us for their fourth game because they get too busy, don't want to run their own ad. One thing to establish as well, I suppose, in my mind, if someone came to me asking with that, I'd want to establish their their goals or to try ground their expectations of how successful these ads will be. I know, Ad, you, you talked about in one of our episodes how one of your highest returning ads for deliverance was actually a, a an ad set that had a very high cost per click. And, you know, from the outside or from the inside and the ads manager, you'd be looking at that and you would think, well, those ads aren't doing very well, but they did phenomenally well. So sometimes the having goals and understanding sort of expectations can be helpful. We talk about benchmarks, but usually they're just sort of wide open goals that we, we sort of frame things. And, you know, I, I'd imagine that you probably want to set expectations of what should they be looking for compared to what maybe they, they hope to look for. Who is the target market? What do you want to say to them? How, you know, how would I identify who they are and, and that sort of thing? And I wanted to know if in general, if they were targeting the right market with the right message. And so, you know, we kind of talked about that and they're targeting just a very general, you know, Kickstarter interest plus board games and dumping lots of money into that audience. They have some look, uh, you know, a couple of lookalike audiences that they're also um, spending money into, but not, not like a ton of money because there aren't, you know, lots and lots of people like that. But I'd also mention with lookalike audiences is that they've been greatly hindered because of iOS 14 update. And I found that they are not as not as nearly as powerful as they were in the past. And I've sort of focused more on, you, if I'm going to be using lookalikes, I try to use as many data points on Facebook as possible. So you can actually use like page engagement. Mm-hmm. And I I try to include lots of audi- a lot of interests still in my lookalike audiences just to help prop it up. Because I you, you have to assume that 95% of your look live, look like audience has block tracking to some degree mm-hmm. and is no longer usable. So I'd also recommend increasing that percentage of that look like audience to 10%. Just use everything because you have to assume that a lot mm-hmm. of people that are in your historical look like audiences are blocking tracking. You just have to assume it now. Yep. Yeah. You know, a lot of people run around with an iPhone and then they just get automatic updates. And so whether they realize it or not, they're blocking your tracking. So the, but that's, that's a really good point. And, you know, as for myself, whenever I run a lookalike audience for a Kickstarter campaign, it's, I always include the requirement that they have to like Kickstarter. It could be, you know, I, I like with what Sean was saying, that 10% lookalike versus the 1% or one to 2%, you know, that you used to use, you're going to get a lot more people in the top 1% than you will you know, at your, you know, between nine and 10% that fit your criteria. But Kickstarter at the very minimum is such an important interest to require in your lookalike audience. You know, you might still be able to, you know, Facebook can still put together enough uh, data points to figure out that those lookalike 
audience people like board games or whatever if you have enough data but if you don't you know using 10% which is the the highest uh, percentage that you can use for a lookalike audience will give you the, the access to the most people and then using some data points like Kickstarter and then of course board game interests uh, if it's a board game campaign or you know that sort of thing will definitely help I tell you they are very useful it's when you want to exclude leads or exclude a certain audience that's when lookalike audiences are actually I, I'm finding to be more beneficial uh, this is usually for retargeting campaigns so that we want to retarget all the people who visited the landing page because you know we, we think they, they're going to convert better and you know it's the last weekend before the Kickstarter launches so let's try and scoop up the people who went to the landing page but didn't sign up uh, so we're excluding everyone apart from those people um, mm-hmm. or we can say well we we don't want to waste ad spend sending ads to people who've signed up so let's exclude all the people on the list so far and that way it's going to help just make our ad spend be a bit more efficient. Yeah, that's true. I think that's an awesome perspective. So yeah, if you guys are using lookalike audiences, you're, you know, I mean, if you haven't looked at them in a while, if you haven't remade them in a while or updated them in a while, you definitely want to go do that. You want to broaden those things from, you know, I used to use a 1% lookalike and uh, find decent effectiveness with that. You want to broaden it to five or 10% of, the top profiles, right? Instead I of should, just your mention, I mean, custom audience, the lookalike audiences. That's what I was explaining there. Mm-hmm. They're custom audiences because lookalikes is what you create from custom audiences. So, yeah. But it, basically, both custom audiences and lookalike audiences both use pixel data or some type of data point. So just mm-hmm. be aware of that. So kind of back to the this client that was uh, that we were consulting with, they, they had kind of a, their unknowns were you know, is, so they didn't, they, their ads were more expensive, their cost per lead instead of like $2 or, or it was like a, you know, just under $2 was over $6 uh, per email added to their list. And they're, they were using, they would try both methods of using a landing page, which most of their traffic was going to, or the Facebook lead ads. And they found that their Facebook lead ads were almost $6 per lead, you know, per email lead. And their landing page ads were like $6 and six cents. So it was like less than a 10 cent difference, I think, between the two. And uh, they recognized that the landing page ads or, or the landing page leads were better qualified because those people got to absorb more information about their game and that kind of thing. So they they would be just a better quality lead. So they focused most of their budget on their landing page um, ads. The first thing that they wondered is, um, is the game the problem? Because their last game was a really interesting one. It was very shareable and all that. They, they wondered maybe, well, maybe it's the game. And for me, there are maybe three elements that I would look at in order to kind of determine what the case is uh you've got your landing page which is kind of your your funnel the the information somebody can read about your stuff then you have your audience and who it is that you're sending your ads to and then you have the actual ads themselves so the reason that i kind of going back to what i mentioned before i talked about the you know how they felt who their target market was what their messaging was like 
is because I wanted to know, you know, the background enough so that I could look at a landing page and say, is this communicating correctly to the right people? Is their audience, you know, are they pointing their audience to the right people? And are their ads saying the things that would make the right people excited? Right. So that's really, really important. Those, those three elements are pretty much the knobs that you have to um, adjust or buttons you can press in order to cha- make changes. It pretty much all comes down to those three things, your landing page, your ads, and your audience. And so before we even get into the data, it was really important to, to know, you know, I mean, really, you kind of just have to make an assumption that, hey, these are the people I think are going to like this. And hopefully it's based on, you know, your playtesting or, or just maybe your theme and you know, some obvious stuff, like if it's witches and wizards or whatever, then Harry Potter fans are probably going to like that. So, you know, that's, that kind of determines the way that you target people. So the kind of the, the idea after I had a basic understanding of what their process was, it seemed like their process was good. I went to their landing page again, before I looked at the data, I went to their landing page and I said, okay, there are, you know, maybe a couple of minor little issues that I might change. But for the most part, the landing page is good. It really mirrored the same style of landing page that we advocate for and also the same style that they used last time. Did a good job of saying, you know, what their game was and showing kind of how it's played and the kind of helping you understand the theme, who you are, why you should care, you know. And um, so I wanted to look at the data and I asked for the data of their last campaign that was successful and this campaign that was had a third of the results. So um, they, they gave it to me and I'll share a little bit with you guys. So their last campaign had um, their landing page conversion rate was 13%, meaning that, you know, whenever they sent somebody via trap, like sent Facebook traffic to their landing page, um, they converted that person into an email 13% of the time. So um, it, in fa- it was like almost exactly 13% conversion rate. Their most recent landing page was converting at 11.4% for this game. It is lower, but the previous production was before the iOS 14 change, and this one was after. And so I told them that that's a pretty good conversion rate, despite the iOS 14 issues that, that, you know, are plaguing every advertiser. And, you know, I told them that we in in our business, we always aim for 10% conversion rate. If we can get at least 10% of the people that go to our landing page to convert, I believe that the landing page is not the problem. And as kind of as, as a result, I believe that the game is not the problem. You know, I mean, there's so many times where people have wanted us to advertise or people are, you know, spending money on Facebook ads and they're like, Hey, why, why are my ads not working? And we can tell right away, as soon as you look at the landing page, it's just not going to convert people or maybe the game just isn't that good or whatever. You always see that in the cost per email being $20 or, you know, something like that. And I think it's, it's easier for us to see, you know, we have the vantage point of looking at something with fresh eyes. And I think that's one of the benefit of getting outside help because I even find when, you know, I have my own personal projects and I like to experiment different marketing things there, but I always find it's much harder marketing that than our clients because you're so close to the project and you'd have to think what makes us unique why why should people care but it's so much easier to see that in other people's work 
Uh, one example is we've been marketing uh, the game Oros. Um, you know, originally Brand, who, who's run that and is doing quite well on Kickstarter, he he made the messaging very much about gaining knowledge. He very kindly played the game. He, he allowed me to play the game with him on Tabletopia. And the huge element of the game is moving epic mountains and like changing geography. I was like, well, clearly moving mountains is the the theme that you need to focus on, not the getting knowledge. And uh, so we, we made that the primary thrust of the marketing campaign and, and it did quite well. Uh, you know, the headlines that talked about, you know, become a legend, move mountains, you know, just outperformed the game, you know, knowledge through these, these things. So I think that's just an example of looking at something from the outside and say, well, well, that clearly is the thing that you need to focus on. That clearly is the issue. And that's one of the benefit of getting outside help. Right. And I, I can attest the same thing because of deliverance, which we recently ran. I found it pretty tough for myself to actually be the guy running those ads. And I asked for Sean's help a lot and, you know, in, in the ads and whatnot, but um, I knew what, you know, and we did have a lot of data um, to say like what our audience cared about, but in the, especially in the beginning, I knew what I cared about and I knew what made, you know, moved the needle for me personally and being so close to the project, I knew what I thought was unique about the game, but oftentimes you and what you think and your personal experience and your personal opinion is not the same as your target market. And so it's really important to kind of figure out, you know, what would, what would move the needle for them. And uh, sometimes, I mean, really, we just take an educated guess at what the right answer is. And sometimes we're proven right. Other times we're proven wrong. And the only way you can really figure it out is by testing different things and figuring out what really works. Like the moving mountains thing made a huge difference in the Oros uh, ad campaign and the way that that resonated with the audience. But, you know, it's just kind of an example of sometimes we get caught in this uh, trap of, uh, as I think I've used before, this adage of not being able to see the forest through the trees. You're so close that you you can't even recognize that there's a forest in front of you. So very kind of an interesting way to, to look at it. Yeah, and that's why we, we do so much testing with dynamic ads, because oftentimes the least intuitive copy images perform the best and you would have never thought you know if you lined up all those pictures which one do you think would be the best ad you know you probably pick this one and it doesn't have, it's actually that other one that you never thought would be so it's just allowing the market to dictate what's working and saying okay that's working let's let's go with it <laughs> so facebook does this thing where it will randomly sample some people in your target market and and you know that that you've chosen with your audience and it will send the ad to those people and then it will um, decide kind of how effective that ad was. And it will, your cost per click will be largely de determined early on based on that initial response. And also, of course, who Facebook is going to serve your ad to. You know, there are millions of people, let's say, that you that could receive your ad if your audience is, let's say, three to five million people in size. Um, but Facebook is not going to serve it to millions of people. It's going to serve it to hundreds of people a day or whatever, right? You know, maybe a few thousand, and you know, depending on your budget. And um, though the people that it chooses are the people that Facebook thinks resonate with the ad. And sometimes early on, you can just, it just so happens that you get a bad sample and Facebook, you know, thinks your ad sucks when it really doesn't. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes 
dynamic ads, you'll you'll find one combination of like one headline, one primary text, and one image outperform all the others. You know, in this dynamic ad that's running four images and five headlines and you know whatever, right? And then you pull those out to their their own ad and they perform worse. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, wait, I, I thought the dynamic ad said that all of these performed markedly better, you know, and so I just combined them and then they don't work as well. And I think sometimes, you know, sometimes it's due to the um, the way that you have trained the Facebook campaign to look at people and uh, to, to choose people. You know, Facebook learns and if you teach it one thing and then try to get it to do another, sometimes you, you know, actually what you really need to do is create a new campaign that can start from square one. It's uh, it's it's interesting that sometimes the dynamic ad outperforms a you know the quote unquote winning combination. Just, just because. yeah, I suppose the lesson here is if in doubt, create a new campaign, and if it's working, just let it work. <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. the dynamic ads just work, yep. and I go, great, it's working. <laughs> so I'm not, not going to touch this. Getting leads right. at 30, 30 cents a lead. That's great. That's just let that yeah. ride out. Yeah, it drives me so nuts when, when you know, in, in the past we've had, uh, I've had experiences where, you know, we've had ads that are just crushing it. And, you know, part of our, our you know, what people pay for would be our discernment. And sometimes, even though I'm not working, you know, a bunch of hours on on this account i i will decide hey this ad should not be changed and as a result the only work that i did maybe for the entire week is like monitor it <laughs> you know it's like i looked mm-hmm. at it and i didn't actually put my hand to the plow as as it were but i just let it ride and you know sometimes we'll have clients get kind of antsy about that it's like well i'm paying you for you know, in essence, you're kind of doing nothing. And that's not true. I'm not doing nothing. I'm very purposefully. It's just I'm not just like resting on my laurels. I'm I'm doing nothing on purpose because it's working. And one of, you know, one of the things that will drive me crazy are um, when people will say, well, I want the ad creative changed. I want it changed anyway. That's honestly, that's actually for us. It can be grounds to end a client relationship if they're not willing to listen to us and they are they, they must have something changed in the extreme event that something's working like you know gangbusters and they still won't listen to us i mean it's it's one of those things like i don't know if it's going to be a good fit to work together what was the problem and what was the the solution to their poor performing ads yeah so you know i guess to kind of connect bridge the gap between you know this whole doing nothing concept a lot of people will craft an ad that just so happens to work and they'll get like seven cents per click and they'll get, you know, $1 per email and they'll have a good campaign and that kind of thing. And then they have another campaign and they do it again and it doesn't work at all the way that it worked the first time. I think that there is absolutely wisdom in doing nothing on purpose, but if you don't know why it was working, you're going to have a very hard time replicating your success. You happened to randomly strike gold and you have to randomly strike gold again and that gets really tough to to replicate you know three four five times in a row um honestly two times in a row right 
And so you really need to know why something's working or why something's not working. That's where the, the, I guess our value comes into play. So what ended up happening was we looked at all the numbers, their landing page was great. Their audience was decent. I felt actually one of their problems was that they were spending too much money into an audience that was not quite large enough. So, um, you know, if you target Kickstarter plus board games in the US, you get, you know, around three to four million people. I think it's like 3.8 or 3.1 million people. And I, I told them to broaden their scope. So instead of targeting just board games, you know, you've got Kickstarter, which is very important. But instead of just targeting board games, target tabletop games, RPGs, anything that's related to a game that people would play on a tabletop, you should use. So card game, collectible card games and things like that. People that are interested in all those things, if you have the budget uh, that you're spending, I mean, you need to have more people. And so that's one way that that they were um, that we shared that they could improve these numbers. And uh, the the primary mechanism that I look at, we have these uh, several different elements, um, the cost per click, the click through rate, the uh, CPM or cost per 1000 impressions. And lastly, your cost per email conversion, your conversion rate. So um, CTA. Yeah. So um, the CTFN. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> so uh, to kind of revisit, they had a six dollar and six cent conversion. It was like six dollar and something cent conversion rate or, or conversion per email. So for every dollar they spent, uh, it would it would take six dollars to get an email, and each click cost them sixty nine cents. So they they had a conversion rate of thirteen percent. Their CPM was about nine dollars and thirty cents. It wasn't uh, super duper high. Sometimes you have a CPM that's just very high, like like thirty dollars or twenty dollars or something. And why do you think that is? Um, because people are not resonating with your ad. Uh, the the wrong audience is the first thing I think about. It's like, you know, if I were to try to sell board games to people who had, you know, I don't know, were interested in like gardening or something, you wouldn't. Um, they, those people just wouldn't interact, engage at all with your ad. So Facebook would uh, not want to send that. Like you would have to really pay to reach those people, you know? Or it could mean that the demographic you're trying to reach is very competitive. Mm. So therefore the, the CPM true. is very high. So maybe expanding the audience or trying to target that audience in a different way might be beneficial. Right. Absolutely. So a really common audience that people want to target would be business people or real estate agents. Those, those are very, very competitive and, or maybe really wealthy people, you know, like if you want to segment down to like a really tiny, you know, the 1% and find, you know, Barack Obama on Facebook or whatever, there are a lot of other people that are vying for money, you know, of like Hollywood movie stars and successful business people and whatnot. So it's going to cost you quite a lot. So, but I think that for the board game industry, the cost per click is one of the most like easy to discern that there's a problem. When the cost per click is high, 69 cents is high. We aim for 20 cents um, or less. Sometimes, you know, 20 to 40 cents is actually acceptable. I would say that depending on, you know, how long your ads have been running and how much you're spending, 40 cents is completely acceptable. And and um, I, I looked at uh, Deliverance 
you know, the numbers for the, for that and did a case study in a, in a previous podcast where the average cost was like 39 cents a click. And we ended up making $9 and 27 cents per dollar that we spent on ads. It was like very big. And so 40 cents is completely awesome. I would spend, you know, more next time. Uh, when the cost per click is high, 69 cents is high and the click through rate is low. I'd say 1% is low. Two to 5% is kind of the range that you want. So the click through rate was just above 1%. So if the cost per click is high, so, and the, so it, it's not really motivating people to click on the ad and the click through rate is low, meaning a lot of people are seeing the ad, but not that many people are actually clicking on it. The problem that I identified was simply that they had the wrong, I mean, their ads were not converting. They needed mm -hmm. to create more ads, use different ad text on the actual ad. So they had the right audience, they had the right landing page, they had the wrong ads. So they had the wrong messaging. And yeah. I think what, what you would see if you see, saw a high cost, uh, high CPM, but you saw a really good click-through rate, that's just a sign that the it's a very comp competitive space. So creating a new audience would, would benefit those ads because we know that the click-through rate is good. So therefore, the ads are engaging. It's just that it's very expensive to show those ads to those people because it's so competitive on the platform. Definitely. And as far as the actual ads and, and styles, like there are a couple of like really basic and very important elements that you need. Number one, you need a great image. Um, your ad text should relate to the image. Your headline should have some sort of call to action. And it, it, very importantly, your ad should not look like an ad. If, if you look like an ad, then I'm probably going to scroll on by. Uh, maybe I'll stop because the image is interesting, but you are going to... Um, you know, if you have like your, you know, the coming soon to Kickstarter green splat on there or whatever, like that's not going to help you. It's actually going to hurt your conversion rate because I know that's an ad because normal people, when they post on Facebook, don't put banners and little stickers and whatnot on their images like that. So the only time that we do that is when we're retargeting. So someone has already had a touch point with your game and you're just reminding them that, hey, we're launching tomorrow on Kickstarter. So you have the little Kickstarter logo on mm -hmm. the game box, that image of the game box. So that yeah. they the image remember. that they're oh, yeah. used to that they know about. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And then um, the last thing is a call to action on the ad. You need one. Use the word get. Get is an excellent get good. way. Yeah, <laughs> get get good, get good noob. Uh, also, learn more as like a button. I think that that's the best. Generally, it performs the best uh, as the kind of standard Facebook call to action button. Learn more. Some sound like insults, don't they? I learn know. more. Get good. <laughs> so we've diagnosed in from this account that their ads are the problems. Not the landing page. The landing page has a decent conversion rate. We've discovered that there's a high cost per click and a poor click-through rate, which means that the ad messaging needs to be changed. That's really what it means. It could also mean that the image needs to be changed. But I think when you see a lower click-through rate, it's really that the, so this is important. This is why you should, you should separate your CTR versus your CTR link click-through rate. So there's two options on Facebook. So one would just allow you to see who's interacting with the ad 
the other one will let you see how many people are actually clicking through to the landing page. So you might find that you have a high CTR, but your link, your link click-through rate is really low. That could suggest that your ad is really engaging, but it's not really offering enough engagement to get people to click through. You might find that the image is getting people to stop and like click the read, you know, see more and read, read your copy, but people are then losing interest and not actually clicking through to your ad. So that's an important distinction to, to think about. You know, another thing that's really common, especially early on, and this is not a hard and fast rule that, you know, we're, there, there are plenty of outliers with this one, but your ads will, will always perform better with more social proof. So sometimes I, I've seen, you know, the, I mean, typically it's like 15 to 20 reactions on an ad. It will perform better. You know, an ad that had, you know, $3 per email is going to, you know, be like two bucks an email by the time you get 15 or 20 reactions. It's, it's this weird social proof thing that happens on Facebook. So if you run an ad for a really low budget and you're like, why is my ad not working? You just need to get a little bit of social proof on there. You know, that's definitely something. Uh, now, another thing is like when the ad, the actual ad text, if it doesn't, if it doesn't really say something, I mean, you can put words in the ad, but you know, if your headline is we're launching September 1st, I mean, that's, that's a real waste of a headline. Your headline should say slay demons as epic angels or whatever, right? I mean, whatever your theme is, I, I really feel like the headline, meaning the bold section of an ad that is like, you know, five words long really needs to be punchy and give a reason for somebody to be more interested, to be interested. And if the reason is that you're launching soon, that's not interesting. Plenty of projects are launching soon. I just need to know why your project is more awesome. And the image needs to show why it's awesome. The headline needs to tell why it's awesome. And then the primary text needs to tell me why it's awesome. And I feel like if any one of those things are off, it's a completely missed opportunity. So, and, and they really need to work together. You know, you if you have an image of an angel, you know, for me, it deliverance, like the angel standing by himself, it really wouldn't work to say slay demons as epic angels because there are no demons that I'm showing. You know, I would be the perfect combo would be to have a, an image of an angel fighting a demon. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, then it would just make sense. Right. So the primary text, I think that a lot of people kind of miss the point about what their audience cares about. I think that they don't care about, you know, for as, as altruistic as board game designers are, board game players are not altruistic at all. They are so, maybe I, this is, you know, overly uh, conflict. I, I don't know. It's just salty or something, but they're selfish. They don't care about you at all. They only care about what it is that you can do for me now. You know, and that's uh, people, man. That's every industry. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. But you know, gamers are just like salty, toxic people. <laughs> and you know, it's like a lot of board game designers listen to this, and I hope that they're not thinking, no, that's not true. They are like completely salt filled, you know, angry about the smallest things and requiring all sorts of, uh, you know, passion, Andrew, passionate people. Yeah, totally. And sometimes sure. <laughs> that can turn into something that is like, Tantrums. you know, yeah, that's right. I, no, I also think it, as well is is that 
if you get big enough, you know, if you're, you know, we talk about listening to your fans, doing what they say, but there's going to come a stage where you're so big that you're going to find yourself in a cast 22 because you're going to make a change and you're going to make some fans really happy and then you're going to really upset some other fans. And I find that's maybe one of the, the problems with these big corporations, who, you know, these huge games is that they're going to make some someone upset. They've just got such huge followings with so many people from different backgrounds with different opinions. They're gonna, they're just gonna yeah. upset someone. You buff rogues, you're gonna upset the the hunter because you know rogues are already overpowered. They just pop yeah. prep and beat everything. <laughs> right, right, and it's so true. You're gonna make the rogues really happy. <laughs> exactly, and they're gonna defend it. Be like, we were weak before, you know. But you know, it's funny because that is that is so true. In my, you know, recently in my deliverance campaign, there were people that were like, I'm not backing this unless there are demon miniatures. And I made a decision already that I'm not going to do that because that would add, it would, it would probably add another $15,000 in mold and molding costs, as well as the cost to do all of the STL files. We have like 13, you know, or 14 different sculpts or maybe 15 actually that we would need. Um, so that times roughly four to 500 uh, plus, you know, the $15,000 in, in molds. And then in addition to that, the roughly $4 in additional plastic or $5, I think it would be an additional plastic uh, per box. So the answer was no. <laughs> the answer was <laughs> I can't. Right. And I, you know, I would try to give people uh, some hope and be like, you know, I'm not closing the book on this idea forever, but we we're, we've decided not to do that for this Kickstarter, and and I get people just throwing salt shakers at me, and you know they they were they would just be like, well, you know, I'm never backing this game then, you know, but you just lost a backer. It's like I just gained like thousands upon thousands of dollars for not doing this thing, you know, or I kept my project profitable, or you know, I don't know what I I mean, just so many different positives to to not going off script you know i didn't plan on doing them before there were other things that i didn't plan on doing that i completely changed i did alternate art that i that i wasn't planning on doing i promised alternate art and i did um, all sorts of other things but it was uh, it was interesting you know just you have to be willing to say no i had people that were really really upset that i could offer a you know that i did 59 dollars for the base game but it didn't come with all the gameplay content that they had to pay 89 dollars for all the gameplay content they were so mad and they were like i'm not backing this game now because you're making me pay more it's like dude i you know what if the 59 version just didn't exist you they wouldn't even know the difference right you know it's just you you can't cave to all the people that are grumpy right so <laughs> i'm on my soapbox so <laughs> but yeah so as, as far as your ads you know I, I think that that primary text area is super important i think what i would do in this circumstance if we know the messaging is the problem mm -hmm. what we should do then do is create a dynamic ad using uh starting with the best performing copy image and then we change the ad messaging so not so much concerned about the the style of the layout or the or the means of that messaging. I'm concerned about the messaging. So we have some. Let's say it's a, a example taping, taking taking is just an easy example again. You know we have some of the messaging that talks about moving epic mountains. We have the other some other messaging that talks about gaining hidden knowledge. Other messaging about the the solo play, and then from that we will be able to see which is moving the needle more. 
And then we can then focus on that messaging and we can dive into that even more. So that's what I would probably suggest doing is, is testing different messaging before you start testing short copy versus long copy, bullet mm. points versus anything else. That's true. Very true. I think that some of the most valuable messaging that, you know, so, and, and if you're confused about where do I go, you know, like with Oros, we just happen to be out, you know, able to see the forest and, you know, as gamers ourselves, we can look at a project and say, oh, this is what I think is cool about it. And we throw ideas against the wall sometimes too. So, you know, we'll work with our clients and collaborate on, on the initial set of ideas. And then we just kind of tweak and adjust based on what we learn. Right. And what I find has been very helpful is to, so add you, you got a, you've got a stack of board games behind you as we speak. Now, let's say I was at your house and like, Hey, Sean, let's play a game. And I was like, okay, great. What game should we play? How would you describe one of the games behind you? I might ask so like, well, let's, let's take, ta- you like? Oh, let's look at tapestry though. What's, what's tap, what's tapestry about? It, it's kind of like a civilization game, but it's really all about an engine builder or uh, engine building. I guess it's, um, it's a lot of fun though. It's like Stonemeyer game. It, it totally feels like you're advancing your culture and building this engine that becomes more powerful. You get to kind of put your, you know, these little, um, like you kind of c- construct a town in front of you and, and it's a lot of fun. You've got boards, you know, and deci- meaningful decisions you can make that are kind of focused on exploration or combat or like discovering new things with science or, um, you know, that kind of thing. So just from doing the little exercise, you've got a lot of data points, don't you, to, to start exploring. You know, I know Absolutely. some of the mechanics now. I know the types of people that, that might be interested into it. And I think that's a really helpful way of thinking. If this game was on my shelf and I was trying to convince my friend to play it, what would I say? Because I think often we, we often do that. We have different games on our shelves for different situations, for different mm-hmm. audiences. And if you've got a certain game you really want to play, you're probably going to down, down, you know, play down the one game they want to play talk up the game you want to play oh that game yeah. yeah it's okay but this game's way better because of this, yeah. this and you one. never say like yeah well this is a strategic deck builder with asymmetric factions it's like yeah you get to choose your faction and vie for supremacy in this sunken city or whatever i you know i don't know i think that excitement you can tell how excited a person is by what they say of you know and how they position a game and i think that you should be excited um, your audience will be excited if you are excited. And so I would, I would say, you know, use exclamation points and emojis and other things like that. I, I think that that's actually pretty important. You don't necessarily need to hide that you're selling something. I would just say, you know, be, be truthful in the most positive way <laughs> that you can be truthful <laughs> for yourself, you know, as a, 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 a mentor of mine would always say, uh, some version of the truth is what people want to hear. Just tell them the truth in like the most fun and interesting way. Well, I thought this was pretty interesting. And part of the episode was quite cathartic, fun to just rant and rave for a little bit. But <laughs> oh, <laughs> deliverance fans. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, but uh, I, I really uh, hope you all enjoyed. And uh, because Richard is not here, how in the world are we going to end this? So then the uh, pre-recorded ending. <laughs> yes, that sounds like a plan. Three, two, one. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. 
And if you have a crowdfunding question, we also have a page on our site where you can send a message directly to us. Please visit crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash question. And if your question is a great question, we may include it in a future podcast. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. See you here.